Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Well, last week I started a message titled How to Help Hurting People. And this is going to be the second part of that message today. Um, just to review last week, I painted a picture of uh, a landscape that's littered with uh, people that are really suffering. And I'm talking about people in the church that are really going through a difficult time. And I was thinking, if I could show you some of my texts, you would cry. That's, that's how difficult this is. And another picture just came to me this morning. I'm not trying to hype anything, but uh, you'll see where I'm going to go with this today. But it's really people's lives that go through such a serious loss, a breakup, a divorce, a separation. It's like a bomb going off. It's like an act of terrorism. And, you know, as horrible as it is to see these, these terrorists um, and, and the explosions and the bodies, I mean, it's horrible, right? I mean, it's horrible. That's what it's like with some people that are going through uh, these divorces and separations. So, we, the body, can help, right? We have the Holy Spirit, and the body wants to edify itself and build itself up in love. And so that's what we're here today to do. And so just helping equip you, just giving you some do's and don'ts on how to counsel people, how to build people up, um, just based on my experience, based on the Scripture. So last week, I painted that picture of what couples are going through. And I told you that love is patient and love is kind, right? And I put that in the context of we just don't jump on people and try to tell them what to do. We don't treat them like toasters and try to fix them, okay? What we need to do is have a patience, a love, a gentleness. We come alongside people. We grieve with those who grieve. We mourn with those who mourn. We serve them. We cut their grass. We fix their toilets, whatever they need, that's what we do. And we keep our mouth closed because even a fool is considered wise if he remains silent. Right? Okay. Uh, And we also talked about, Jason mentioned, taking the bait. In other words, if you're going to help somebody, they're really hurting badly, they're going to hurt you. They're going to offend you. And if your ego is not in check... Uh, You're going to take the offense, you're going to take the bait, and you're going to hammer back. The very person who's hurting, you're going to hit back at. That's not what you want to do. So we don't want to take the bait. So we talked about some do's and don'ts last week. This week, um, we're going to talk about more do's and don'ts. Actually, I think I didn't even realize this. I think I have seven total do's and don'ts. So we did two of them last week, so we'll do five this morning. Um, And before I get started... Another thought occurred to me uh, about grief. Now, we all know when you lose a loved one, you grieve. But I don't think it's really said. It, it didn't occur to me at all until I met people that were in situations where they hadn't lost a loved one, but they were grieving tremendously. I'm like, oh, you can grieve if you don't lose a loved one. I didn't know that. I mean, it sounds common sense, but if you, you think about it. And they grieve 
Because what is their loss? Well, they lost their children. They lost their spouse of 25 years. Their heart has been ripped in half. Okay? And their children are suffering. And so they have this, they lost, they lost their reputation. They lost their house. They lost their job. And they lost their health. Okay? They're grieving big time. And so one thing I didn't realize is not only are they grieving and is it valid, they need to be validated in their grief. You can't just say, well, look, man, I've been meeting with you for four months. I mean, what's your problem? Get over it. Wrong. (laughs) Wrong. Can I say it after three years? Look, we've been meeting for three years. You just need to get over this. No, you can't say it after three years. Why? You can't say it after five years. Why? Because who is the only one that can heal a wounded heart? Jesus. So what, what, what are we going to do? We're going we're gonna to get on them and make them feel guilty because they're not over it, right? Now, if we're, in, if we're in step with the Holy Spirit and we're coming alongside them, God will use us to speak words of encouragement through our service, through our love, through our compassion, through our kindness. He'll use that to help turn their heart and heal a wounded heart, right? Isn't that what Jesus wanted us to do? To help bind up the brokenhearted? The Pharisees wouldn't do it. They put big burdens on people. Our job is to come and loose the burdens, the heavy burdens. And then maybe they'll heal quicker. So that's where I'm going today. A little background. Alright, so more do's and don'ts on counseling. Um, I guess this would be number three. Last week was one and two. Don't give your opinion as fact. How many times do we give our opinion during any given day? Probably a lot, right? Um, how many times were you asked to give your opinion? <laughs> maybe zero. <laughs> uh, maybe once. But we love giving our opinion, don't we? Because we feel like we need to express ourselves. Well, you have to be careful if you really have to express yourself when you give an opinion. Um, So I would say, don't give your opinion as a fact, uh, but do ask questions. Okay? Um, So when we give our opinion, what we want to do is say, look, I don't know the answers necessarily, but these are just some thoughts I've had. Why don't you seek God? Okay, so you always want to point the person to the Lord and not to yourself. And I would, I would even suggest don't give your opinion very often when you're counseling with people. Uh, my experience has been most of the time I've given my opinion without being asked, it hasn't borne fruit. It's kind of fallen on deaf ears. And so it's like, okay, I just listened. And I listened. Week after week, month after month, year after year, I listened. And then, about once every couple months, somebody says, well, what do you think? It's like, oh yeah, I finally get to share what I think. (laughs) Um, You have to be careful with your opinion. Uh, Do be led by the Holy Spirit, though. Right? That's important. Because I don't, you know, if I'm hurting, if I have big decisions I need to make, I don't need your opinion. Do you want my opinion? I mean, pastors share that a number of times up here. 
He says, you don't want my opinion, you want the Word of God. That's why you guys come on Sunday morning is to hear the Word of God, not my opinion on counseling. What does the Scripture say about counseling? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) The Scripture says to be led by the Holy Spirit. So when you talk with people, that's what you need to do. So how are you led by the Holy Spirit? Well, what's Peter have to say about it? 1 Peter 4.11. He's going to tell us how we ought to speak to one another. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Okay, what did, what did Peter just say? Okay, when you speak to people, you should be speaking God's words to them. Now, I don't mean you don't have to quote Bible verses to people. I don't think that's what he's saying. But I think what he's saying is that our speech should be in line with godly, righteous living, right? We should be in step with the Holy Spirit. We should be in line with the Holy Spirit. Uh, We shouldn't be speaking foolish, nonsense, coarse, joking, stuff like that. All right, so I had a friend one time, he said to me, he said, look, he said, don't even speak to me unless it's from the Holy Spirit. Like, what? (laughs) Has anyone ever said that to you? No. But he's, he's like, I don't, I don't want to hear it. Unless you're speaking from God, don't speak to me. Now, he's a, he's a, he's a great friend, so he wasn't being weird or anything. He, that's just, he felt led to say that to me. And I appreciated it because it reminded me, who do I represent? Who do you represent? Christ. So you're speaking for Christ, Right? He's like, look, I don't want you speaking of your own. That's really what he's saying to me. He said, I want to hear Jesus come out of your mouth. Because he said, I know you know Jesus. And I'm edified when you speak Jesus to me. Aren't you edified when people speak Jesus to you? Yeah. So Peter's saying, hey, speak Jesus to people. How do you do that? Well, you have to know about Jesus, right? You have to know what the Scriptures say. If you don't know your Bible, how can you speak the Scriptures or speak Christ to people? So you you really need to be uh, spending time in the Word every day because that's one of the biggest ways that we're going to be led by the Holy Spirit and speak the Word of God is by if we know the Word of God and put it in us, right? There's something interesting, though, in Acts 8.26 on how to be led by the Holy Spirit. You guys remember Philip? Philip was an evangelist in the book of Acts. So he's running around Samaria and he's telling people about Jesus. And so an angel of the Lord in verse 26 spoke to Philip saying, Get up, go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and is reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join the chariot. So Philip ran up ahead and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, Well, how could I understand unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit down with him. And Philip was able to preach Jesus 
show this Ethiopian eunuch what the Scripture in Isaiah was really pointing to, and that was the coming of Jesus Christ, how He's going to be the Lamb that was slain. So this eunuch gets saved. He gets baptized. And Philip obeyed God. So the focus was, though, would Philip have gone and run and jumped into this chariot if the Spirit hadn't said to Philip, go up and join the chariot. Can you imagine as you're a traffic light on Ward's Road, everyone stopped, and the Holy Spirit says, get out of your car and jump in their truck. <laughs> Some of you young guys would actually like that. It's kind of exciting, right? That's, I mean, that's what he did. I mean, the chariot, he, it says he, he ran, he jumped into the thing. and there's, I mean, imagine the eunuch's response, like all of a sudden Philip jumps on top into sitting next to him. Hey, what are you doing? Well, what are you reading? <laughs> Read any good books lately? Yeah, I've got this scroll. So I, I got this Isaiah scroll. So, how did Philip know that he was to do that? It says the Spirit told him to do it. Was it with an audible voice? I don't think it says. It just says the Spirit said to Philip. Now, did he speak to him in his mind quietly, or did he speak to him with an audible voice? I don't know. It doesn't say. But how do you hear from God? And if you've ever been to Elder Sam's uh, classes on how to hear the voice of God, he's covered this stuff. But let me just give you a few, uh, a few pointers, I guess, or a few things to think about. How do you know when God is speaking to you? Well, before I get to that, let me back up again. The best, you have the best opportunity of hearing God when you wake up and you're spending time with God. Okay? So you already prayed. You've already said, Lord, guide my path in righteousness today for your name's sake. You've already, Lord, not, you've already said to God, not my will, but your will be done. You've already said, Lord, please speak to me today. Show me who to help. You've already surrendered and yielded everything to God. You've prayed that morning. You've praised that morning. You've said, Holy Spirit, fill me. Uh, for Your glory today, Lord, show me who to talk to. Give me wisdom. Now as you go out and you're talking to people, now the Holy Spirit has a usable, pliable, teachable vessel that He can speak through. So you're ready to be used by God. You're anticipating the Holy Spirit speaking through you. You're going to meet up with your friend who you know needs help. And right as you, you're praying just as you drive up to the person's house, Lord, just give me the words of life to speak to this person. So you get out of the car and your friend's sharing with you, friend's sharing with you, friend's sharing with you. But now, your opinion doesn't come forth. The Holy Spirit puts something in your mind to give to that person from God. That's what you want. I have a picture. Let's say that our mind is like the tenth floor of a building. How do you get up there? You take the elevator, right? Okay, so, so our brain, our mind is the tenth floor. The elevator comes up. The doors open up. What comes out of the elevator? The Word of God. In our minds. The Holy Spirit can put the Word of God in our minds. Satan can come into our mind and tempt us. And we can have vain imaginations and put unhealthy thoughts and lustful thoughts into our minds, can't we? So the mind is the battleground. God, the Holy Spirit, puts thoughts in our mind. Satan tempts us in our mind. And we can be foolish and think foolish thoughts in our minds. Okay, so that's why I say you've got to be careful when you speak for God. 
Because are you speaking your foolish thoughts? I mean, if you're, if you're proud, what's going to happen? What's going to come out of your mouth? Probably not the Holy Spirit, right? Okay, so be led by the Holy Spirit. Philip's just cruising a lot. I can just see Philip wandering the streets of Samaria. God, here I am. Send me somebody. Lord, just give me the words of life. And what happens? Holy Spirit says, ah, a usable, a usable vessel. Hey, go run and jump in that chariot. Philip's like, cool. So you want to be led by the Holy Spirit. Humility really helps. You don't want to be proud. You want to be humble. Okay. Number four. Don't make judgments based on hearing one side of the story. Guys, this is huge. We, all of us do this all the time, right? Somebody tells you something, you immediately make a judgment based on what they tell you. Am I right? And we do this a lot. Okay, let's look at Proverbs 18.17. The first to plead his case seems right until another comes and examines him. You really have to be careful when you're talking with people on this. I mean, let's say you're, let's say you're talking with a woman and, and you go over to her house, you want to help her. I'm assuming it's another woman doing this. Uh, I don't advocate men counseling with women alone. So you're a woman, you go over to this woman's house, you're going to help her, she's in tears. And you say, what happened? Well, I'm, I'm leaving him. I mean, he's gone crazy. He's angry. He's violent. I mean, he, I, I need to get out of here. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really concerned about this. Well, what happened? Well, I mean, he was yelling at the kids and he was threatening. Well, I mean, what did he, what did he say? Well, he was, he was telling them that they needed to behave. Well, I mean, was he screaming? Well, no, I mean, he raised his voice. And it's wrong. He shouldn't be doing that. I mean, did he hit anybody? No. But I'm just tired of it. And see, when you talk to somebody, um, don't, don't just listen to one side of the story. Do ask some questions and try to get to the bottom of what's really going on. Because what if you don't? What if you go in there, the woman's in hysterics, she's crying, she thinks her husband's a child killer, and she wants to leave the house. What do you think? You start crying with her and like, yeah, you can come live in my house. And you didn't even ask her what was going on. <laughs> well, the kids were fighting and the husband, yeah, he has some anger issues, but um, and he maybe he needs some help, but he wasn't abusing anybody. Or maybe he was abusing somebody. And maybe she comes to the door and she's got a black eye. And she said, i got to get out of here. This is terrible. You need to say, what happened? Well, he hit me. Well, when did he hit you? I mean, last night. Did your kids see it? Yeah, my kids saw it. Are they here? Yeah. Um, they'll tell you. And you talk with their kids and they say, yeah, they hit. I mean, it was terrible. Daddy came in. Well, listen, we need to go right now. Pack up your bags. You see, you need to ask some questions so you can discern what's going on. And uh, I'll tell you a story. It's kind of funny. Remember the movie years ago, uh, Fireproof? I was, it was with Kirk Cameron. Now, Kirk Cameron is a Christian. Uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a man of God. And so Kirk Cameron's starring in this movie, Fireproof, 
And the woman that he's married to, uh, he doesn't treat her very well, and she ends up falling for another guy. Anyway, he, he ends up fighting for his marriage. He repents. And in the very end, he gets, reconcil- he gets reconciled with his wife in the movie. Well, it's not really his wife in the movie. It's some other actress. And so in the very last scene, you know, they hug and they kiss, and it's an intimate kiss. And I'm watching this thing a couple years ago. I'm thinking, Kirk, what are you doing? You don't do that. You don't kiss. I don't care. I mean, it's, it's, an, it's a wonderful movie. But I'm thinking to myself, you don't do that. You don't kiss other people when you're married, Kirk. You can't do that. And uh, so I told Debbie about that. And uh, yeah, I was disappointed in the guy, really. Um, I couldn't be in a, a Christian movie and kiss another woman being married. Could you? We say, well, John, it's, that's just what everybody does. Well, sorry, that's not what I do. And that's not what you should do. And that's not what Kirk Cameron should do. But last week, my wife comes up to me out of the blue. She had, she had, she had completely forgotten about this. And she said, oh, you remember the movie Fireproof? You remember Kirk Cameron? You remember the very end where you know, he reconciled? Well, you know what? They brought his actual wife in to do the kissing scene. I'm like, oh, no. Okay, God, I repent in sackcloth and ashes. But don't we do that? We really do. Thank you. I'm so happy with Kirk Cameron now. (laughs) I'm going to watch all the rest of his movies. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. All right, so don't, don't... just hear one side of a story. Do ask questions and probe. Um, I've talked with people who I wasn't privy to talk to the other party at all. It just wouldn't be appropriate for me to go there. So whatever I'm being told by this person, um, I have no way to validate it. So what do you do? Well, you can ask questions like I said. But really, as you spend time with somebody, their character is going to come out. You're going to see their faults. You're going to see their struggles. It's, it's going to all come out. And you'll know what's really going on after, after some time. And you'll be able to help the person. All right. Next, don't. Don't accuse the person of wrongdoing. Who's the accuser of the brethren? Satan, right? Satan accuses people. Do Christians accuse People, we're not supposed to, right? Let's let's take a look and see an example of what not to do. This is in Job chapter eight. Now you remember last week I told you um, Job lost all his family. Job lost his livestock. Job lost his business. Job lost his health. I mean, Job lost his children, and his three friends heard about it. Remember, they came to comfort him. And they actually did everything right. They saw him from a distance. They saw the suffering that he was going through. They grieved with him. They wouldn't say a word for seven straight days. Uh, some of us need, need that encouragement. <laughs> seven straight days, they don't open their mouth. They, they put on sackcloth. They ripped their clothes. I mean, they're grieving with this guy. They're mourning with this guy. They're mourning with those who mourn. That's an excellent example on how to help somebody, right? Well, they blew it. 
So Bildad, what did you do, Bildad? In uh, 8, uh, it starts with 8.4, I think, but I'm going to go back to 1. It says, Then Bildad, Bildad the Shuhite answered, How long will you say these things and the words of your mouth be a mighty wind? <laughs> what do we say today? Running your mouth, right? That's their version of running your mouth. Does God pervert justice or does the Almighty pervert what is right? If your sons sinned against Him, Job, then He delivered them into the power of their transgression. If you would seek God and implore the compassion of the Almighty, if you are pure and upright, surely now He would rouse Himself for you and He would restore your righteous estate though your beginning was insignificant. What's he saying? Job, I mean, you know, your kids died. Sorry to hear it, buddy. But, you know, obviously they sinned. And you probably did something too. In fact, we know you did something because this is the way God treats sinners. Right? You lose everything. He's condemning Job. Okay, that's not what we do. Even if it's true. Now, This was false because what did God say about Job? He was upright. He was righteous. He shunned evil. And he feared God. So it wasn't even true what Bildad said. Bildad's like, if you are pure and upright, Job. Well, God already said Job is pure and upright. So Bildad was just kind of spinning out of control. He said, well, I would never accuse anybody. But we do. Uh, We don't want to, but sometimes we... We fall into that trap. Um, you know, what can we do? We can do ask questions. <clears throat> right? Don't accuse people. Do ask a question. Um, you know, maybe there's a woman uh, and you're counseling this woman again and she spends a lot of time on the road. Maybe her business, she's a real high-powered business type, type of executive. She's on the road a lot. And her husband's left her, and you're trying to talk with her. And uh, you say, well, you know, no wonder he left you. I mean, you're never home. Could that thought ever enter our brain? <laughs> and then not only enter our brain, but then it just comes out. I mean, is that a, that's not good to say, is it? That's condemning people. Why don't we condemn people? We don't comp- condemn people because Christ was condemned for us. So are we going to condemn somebody whom Christ already received the condemnation for? That would that would be terrible, wouldn't it? All right, so you want to ask questions. Um, even, if the, even if it was true, even if this woman has spent so much time away from home, and that is the reason her husband left, you still don't say it that way. You would ask a question. You would say, well, you know, do you think you're traveling... And being away from home has hurt the situation at all with your husband? You see how you're just really meek. You're asking a gentle question. And they're like, yeah, I've thought about it. I, I probably messed up. I mean, I'm, yeah. So there's, there's a big... So don't accuse. Do ask gentle questions. Okay? Gentle questions. All right. Next one, don't counsel above your pay grade. I, I experienced this. It really humbled me. All right, so I've, I've talked to a person for a, a long period of time now, 
And um, still, when I hear what's going on in his life, I have no idea what to tell him. I know nothing. I, I have no clue what to say to him. Now, like I told you, I'm Mr. Fix-It. I'm not shy with the Scripture either. I, w- I was the Bible answer man. But I just got to the point where I had no idea. I, I didn't even know what to tell him. I, I couldn't help him. I could, but there were matters that were over my head. I didn't know anything about bankruptcy. I didn't know anything about um, going to court. I didn't know anything about uh, leaving your house. I didn't know anything about um, you know, child support. I didn't, know anyth- I didn't know anything about any of that stuff. And so this guy is making all these decisions on what to do with his life and try to pick up the pieces. I, I could say nothing. I just sat there and said nothing. Nothing. I had nothing. But I did have something. Um, because God's given me some spiritual things to be able to to encourage him with. But, you know, that that really humbled me and it was good because uh, you don't want to go in areas that's not your expertise. You refer people somewhere else. Say, look, man, I have no idea. You know, well, did you talk to a lawyer? I mean, what about that professional counselor? They've dealt with child abuse or child support or or suicide, or health issues, or, hey, why don't you go see a doctor if you're having chest pains? Okay, so you, you have to learn, you know, don't pretend you're a doctor, don't pretend you're a lawyer, just refer people if you don't have that experience. Um, <clears throat> it reminded me of Moses, right? Remember uh, Moses? So he brings the children of Israel out into the wilderness, two, two million people maybe? And... Uh, so he's counseling. Moses, Moses has the law, and so he's, he's judging the children of Israel, right? He's settling disputes and things like that. So he's out there, and Jethro, his brother-in-law, comes. And Jethro watches and like, Moses, okay, Moses, you're counseling, I don't know, several hundred thousand people, buddy. You may want to think about delegating. It's not good what you're doing. They're wearing you out. Moses is like, yeah, I guess 200,000 people is a lot. So he's like, look, you you delegate, you pick men that have the Holy Spirit. Um, you delegate to them and you handle the hard cases. In other words, the cases that are over their head, you handle. Well, the cases that are over my head, I refer them to somebody else. And that's what you want to do is just simply make a referral. All right, but do use your gifts. And here's the beauty, Right? You know, somebody's an ear, somebody's a nose, somebody's a tongue, somebody's a spleen. We're all different body parts. And God has uniquely gifted each one of you to help a certain person. And your gifts, and not only that, all that you've been through and have overcome, whatever past, everyone in here has had to overcome something. Everyone in here is in the process of overcoming something. And you will because you know the overcomer. But God is going to take your experience, your gifts, your talents, your love, your kindness, your compassion, and you're going to be perfectly suited to help that person. And you may not know 
about lawyers and you may know, know about medical and doctors, and, but that's okay. What God has given you, that's what you're going to share with them and bless them with. Which is, and that's the beauty of the body, right? The body builds itself and edifies itself up in love. In fact, I have the privilege of sharing this stuff with you to help equip you to be able to do this. Because, I don't know if you ever realize when you hear a message, sometimes God will bring people to you. Like if you hear a message um, when Pastor Willie's speaking, um, then the next couple of weeks God's going to bring something into your life about what He's talked about. I mean, God just does that. That's why God has people uh, stand up here and speak the Word of God. So look for people to help in the next couple of weeks. Say, God, if you want me to help somebody, show me who to help. Does that make sense? Okay. All right, so don't counsel above your pay grade, um, but do use your spiritual gifts. Um, and one last thing about this, using your spiritual gifts. There are people that have gone through these situations and have lost everything. Uh, they lose hope. They don't want to live. They really don't. Uh, they want to die. They want to check out. They want to leave. They want to move. They want to sell their house. They want to live on the street. Um, if they could die, they would die. Um, and Satan comes in and they start to withdraw and he puts tempting thoughts in their minds, right? So you withdraw, you get in despair and then you withdraw. You don't go to church anymore. You stay away from other Christians or whatever the situation is. One of the most important things that we can do to help people is to fight with them and fight for them spiritually. They need hope. And they've lost it. They don't understand their, their world. They're completely confused. In fact, they're in so much pain. I already told you their level of functioning is down to 20-30%. It's all they can do to go out to a restaurant and buy something and eat it. That, that's where they're at. So how can we do that? How can we do that? Well, let's say you're talking with them and uh, you know, maybe there's been a divorce and the children went with the wife and you're talking maybe to the, to the husband. Uh, they're divorced now or whatever. And he, you, you walk in and he says, man, he's all de- depressed and discouraged. I mean, you know, we were homeschooling them, John, but um, you know, once we, the divorce took place, now the kids are in public school. And they're not doing good. I looked on Facebook and I saw my daughter and she's dating somebody on Facebook and the stuff that they're talking about and the pictures they're posting on Instagram. I mean, it's terrible. I mean, and, you know, it's like they're going, Satan's taking them over. Now, as soon as you hear that, okay, your spiritual antenna needs to shoot up. I mean, you know how you have that fight or flight instinct? I mean, spiritual adrenaline needs to consume you as soon as you hear that. You say, no, wait, 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 wait a minute. Your kids aren't, aren't being taken over by Satan. We're going to pray right now and go to God in prayer. and We're going to intercede for your children. Your children are not going to have a bad experience in the public school. 
Because God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we can ask or think. God can protect your children. And just because you don't have access to your children as a father, God is a heavenly father and He has access to them. And God loves them more than you do. And we're going to pray right now. And you pray and you intercede and you speak faith and you speak life into that situation. Because they don't have it in them to do it. You have to do it. You have to, you have to be there. You have to impart faith to them. You have to speak words of life to them so that they can fight for their family. Whatever the situation is. It doesn't matter. They talk about, you know, I just want to kill myself. It's so bad I want to die. You can't just let that go. You don't jump on them with Mr. Fix-It language. You may hug them. You say, look, man, let's, let me pray for you. And you rebuke the spirit of suicide. You, I mean, you, you, or my, you, they say, my wife's talking about killing herself or my husband tried to kill himself. You, you don't just sit there and say, well, I'll pray for you. And you drive away. That's not what you do. You say, we're praying right now. And you rebuke the spirit of death and the spirit of suicide, and you ask that God would release abundant life that Jesus Christ came to give into that situation. You take spiritual authority and pray. You confess the Scripture. You speak the Scripture over that family. You bless, you bless, you bless. You rebuke any curses. You don't take any of that nonsense. And if you've never done that before, you need to learn how to do that. You really do. That's what they need. They need hope. And every single person in this building has the Holy Spirit within them to give that level of hope. I mean, greater is He that is in us than is in the world, right? And you speak that over that person. Listen, man, I know you're tired. I know you're weary. And I'm with you, brother. But listen, greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. And God's going to do a good work in you. What are you speaking over them? Blessing, right? You're speaking words of life. So, don't set aside your spirituality. Do exert and fight for the person so they can have some hope. And I want to end with uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Everyone knows this. Uh, but I want to do is as I'm going to read the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. I'm just going to insert some of the conclusions I've made uh, during the last couple of messages. Because it's all about love, right? Every, you can't do what I talked about doing without love. So love is patience. Love is kind. Wow, I, I really do need to be a good listener. God, give me patience for this person. Help me not to just dump, jump on them, God. Help me not to say something foolish. Lord, help me not to gossip. Help me to have patience, God. Help me to be a good listener, Lord. Help me to come alongside and serve them. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. God, You know how I love to help people and tell people what's wrong with them. 
God, but I don't want to be selfish. Help me, Lord, not to do that. Help me, oh God, not to just give my opinion. God, help me to be led by the Holy Spirit so I don't seek my own. But Your will be done, God, not my will be done. Love is not provoked and does not take into account a wrong suffered. You know, I I didn't explain this to you, but um, I told you that the person you're helping could offend you. But here's what happens. The people in their sphere of influence offend them and, or, or their actions, whether it's the spouse does something, increases, goes to court and increases child support, and you're talking to the guy and the guy tells you that, you, t- you pick up the offense of the wife who went to court to increase the child support and it's being passed through the guy you're trying to help. Does that make sense? So now, you can not only pick up the offense from the brother you're trying to help, but you're picking up the offense of the woman who's trying to stick him with more child support. At least that's your impression of it, right? Maybe she really needs the money. You don't know that. So God, help me not to suffer a wrong. Help me not to pick up the offense. Even with these other people that may be hurting him or her. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. You know, if, if, if one of them goes to court and the judge rules in their favor, you, you have nobody has any right to celebrate that other than maybe a protective order to, to help keep somebody safe. But even then, there's, there's no rejoicing because the rejoicing is in God. Okay, the rejoicing is in God. Not... Oh yeah, the judge stuck it to him. That's not where the rejoicing is. That's that's a spirit of vindictiveness. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. But love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's the most important part. You have to believe for that person. You have to believe for that person because they can't do it. And once you do it, they'll see what you're doing and then they'll start to emulate what you've shown them, and they'll start to fight, and that hope will start to come back into their lives again. And that, then you can get together and sing some songs and praise God and rejoice because Satan is just going to be turned and Satan's going to flee. Well, I, hope, uh, I hope I was able to give you some things to think about. Um, again, pray that God would use you in the next weeks and months to come if God has somebody for you to be involved in their life, um, you know, consider the messages that I've given and the Lord give you grace and strength because it's not easy. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com. Contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net. Or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.